This entire discourse ranges from verse 1, actually in the end of chapter 9, as we've already studied, and it goes through verse 21 of chapter 10. We call it the Good Shepherd Discourse. Last week, we did kind of an overview of it. Today, we're just going to hone in, really looking at the first six verses. Let's just read them. We're going to read verses one to six. We're going to allude to things that are down in the text from verse seven to 21. And then we'll just read those parts of the discourse when we need to. But to begin, let's just read this first portion. Truly, truly, I am saying to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, talks about what that is, this enclosure, kind of like a corral in our vernacular, in the hills of Judea and Samaria where village shepherds would bring their flocks at night. The one who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, you can mark it down, that man, the reason he's doing that isn't just because he forgot his key, right? That man is a thief and he is a bandit. But the one who enters by the gate, he is the shepherd of the sheep. To that man, the keeper of the gate gives entry. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered all of his own out of the enclosure, and now he has his whole herd of sheep outside the enclosure, when they're all together and they're all ready to go, then he goes in front of them and the sheep follow him. And the reason they follow him, notice this, is very important because we see this word time and time again in this text. Because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from the stranger. Because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they didn't understand what he was saying. Let's go to the Lord in order of prayer. Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. And Father, we just ask that we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning. 
through this text. I thank you that you know us. I ask that you would teach us that I would not be an impediment in any way to what you want to say, that what you want to say would be heard by your sheep. We submit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just think about the main point of the proverb. Remember, it tells us in verse 6, it says it is a figure of speech, and that's kind of a generic term in the original Greek language that maybe we could use the concept of a proverb, a riddle. Um, It's a teaching in disguise. It's not a parable. We talked about that. A parable has a plot. It develops a story. There's no storyline here. It's just a proverb. It's a riddle, and it has some spiritual truth embedded in it. What's the main point of it? What are we really getting at? And we're going to develop this this week and next, but here's the main point that Jesus is getting at. Not all the sheep in the corral are mine. Now, this is a revolutionary thought to these people because they're thinking if he's truly the Messiah, then he came to save who? Israel. He came for us all. And yet we see here clearly that Jesus is saying, not all the sheep in the corral are mine. I'm going to go to the gate. And I'm going to call, and my sheep will come. Other sheep will stay. Not all the sheep in the corral are mine. Now, these people, these Jews, are thinking of the Messiah's work in nationalistic terms. King of David, he's going to save us, he's going to bring in the kingdom. We're going to make him king. He fed the 5,000. You remember that. And now Jesus is having to show these people a truth. And that is, it is not a national salvation. No, it is individual. He knows our name. And he calls us by name. And so what we see here, there is not only sheep in the enclosure that are not his. There are also enemies of the sheep that are trying to destroy the work of God. There are thieves, there are robbers, there are hirelings we see later in the text, there are wolves, there are strangers that they do not hear. All these things are true in the text. And then he says later in this, notice with me down in verse 15, he says, as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And by the way, by the way, you Jews that are so smug in thinking that you are nationally God's chosen people and we're it, by the way, I do have other sheep. And those sheep are not in this enclosure in Israel. And I must, notice this, I must bring them to. And what will happen? They will hear my voice. 
Just like his sheep in Judaism would hear the voice of God, so too his sheep that are in the Gentiles will hear his voice. And what will happen? They too will follow. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock. And there will be one shepherd. One flock. One shepherd. Jew and Gentile brought together into one body. We call it the church. And so I have another corral. I'll bring them to. We'll talk about that corral next week. Today, we're going to develop some thoughts about this first corral. And by the way, the things that we develop about the first corral hold true about the second corral. And God's going to take, and he has taken, these two corrals, and he has merged them into one people, the people of God. He's the shepherd. Now, there are two main truths. We mentioned these last week. Jesus knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. And he cares for his sheep. He knows, he cares. These are the two main truths we see in the text about Jesus. And everything really can fall under these two headings. He knows us, he knows our name. All those things that we'll see about his knowledge of us. And then he cares for us. And his caring for us is is most poignantly illustrated by the truth that he says here when he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How does he care for us? He dies for us. He lays down his life for sinful sheep to restore us, to reconcile us, to make us his own, to purchase us. So Jesus knows his sheep and he cares for his sheep. And then we see this about the sheep. Jesus is sheep. What happens with the sheep? We simply hear his voice and what do we do? We follow. He goes in front of us, we follow him, he speaks, we listen. How is he spoken? In his word. We'll see that a little bit this morning, but we will see that Jesus is sheep. How do you know you're his sheep? You hear his voice, and you have an inclination to follow. That doesn't mean you do it perfectly. None of us do, right? None of us do. But we have an inclination to follow. And as we go through life, hopefully we learn to follow better. Now, the other thing that is here that is important is we see that this relationship, sheep and shepherd, is characterized by a mutual knowing. My sheep know my voice. I know my sheep. We see this concept of knowing in 4, 5, 14, 15. All through this text, he uses the word to know, and he's talking about a mutual knowing of relationship, that he knows us and we know him. We don't listen to the voice of a stranger. We listen to his voice. Now, Jesus knows his sheep. What does this mean? 
Does this just mean he kind of knows who might be his sheep? No, he knows his sheep. This is important. This is not the language of potentiality. It is the language of actuality. He knows his sheep. In other words, what I'm saying here is this. It's not the kind of language that's like this. I know there's all these sheep in the corral. And I'm going to stand at the door and I'm going to say, hey, come to me. And if a sheep responds, then it's my sheep. No, what we see here is it's not the language of mere potentiality. It is the, it is the language of actuality. I know... It's not, I know what sheep may potentially hear my voice and then respond to it and become mine. No, it is a knowledge that produces a response. If you will look with me later in this text, if you jump over to verse 22, we're going to see the same theme come up at the time of the Feast of Dedication. Feast of Dedication is what? Hanukkah. So we're talking about like Christmas time in John 10, verse 22. And Jesus is going to die in this year at Passover. So we're like about in verse 22 of chapter 10, we're about three to four months from Jesus' death. And they're going to come to him again. They're going to say, are you really the Messiah? And he's going to talk about the works that he has done and how they testify that he is the Messiah. But notice what he says in verse 26. You don't believe. You ever wonder why somebody doesn't believe? They hear the same message you do, and they don't believe. You do not believe. Why? You're not one of my sheep. Because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow. That is the formula we see in this text. This is not the language of potentiality. It is the language of actuality. Let me put it to you this way. He purchases his sheep. He buys them, right? We are bought at a price. He buys his sheep, and he knows what ones he bought, right? He knows what ones he bought. If I go to the sale barn and I buy some cattle, I know what cows I bought. When I get them home, I put my brand on them, I put my ear tag in their ear, and I write their number in my book. I bought them. They're mine. I put my marks of ownership upon them. And I'm not confused about which ones I bought. I know when I bought them, these are the ones I bought, they get my brand. If I put my brand on a cow I did not buy, you call it what? Theft and rustling. We talked about that last week. It ain't my cow. I know who I bought, I put my mark of ownership on it, and I put it in my book. In the fall, when we have Roundup and cattle are mixed, and me... My son and other neighbors are gathered in the corral, and we are sorting at gates. The way we identify whose cow is whose is by whose brand it has on it. 
Maybe the ear tag is still in the ear. Hopefully it didn't get ripped out, but it's still got that hot brand on its side in my place, right rib with my brand. And I can say it's mine. It's got my brand. Tells us in the scripture that we have a brand from the Father, and that brand is the Holy Spirit. That's how God brands us. He buys his sheep, and he knows who we bought. Now, there is a progression of events in this text. Number one, he calls. Did you notice that? He steps up to the gate. The doorkeeper recognizes who he is. It's now morning, and those sheep are going to go out to grazing. And he steps up to the gate, and he has his call. And his sheep hear their name and his call. It is amazing to me. You know, we don't have many sheep. We have a couple. I'm not a sheep man. My wife wanted some sheep a few years ago, and we bought some, and they started to proliferate like maggots. So we had to sell most of them, kept a few. We kept Bo and Peep, because Bo and Peep were our first ones. And then we had two other ones, Hoot and Annie. So we had a Hoot and Annie. So we had Bo and Peep and Hoot and Annie. And we kept those four. Annie died, so now we have Bo and Peep and Hoot. But man, they know their names. I mean, they know their names. It's always a mistake to name a cow, because if you name a cow, you can't sell her, right? Once you give them a name, they're like yours for eternity. So you don't name a cow, but we do have a few that are named. We have a bottle calf that we raised. Its mother died, and so we raised. Its name is Josephine. Josephine is the biggest pain in the neck in the herd. We have to treat her special because she was a bottle calf, so she has to stay at home in the winter. You know, she can't be with the rest of the herd. And, you know, she's just terrible, but we can't sell her because she's named. But, you know, when I go out in the morning, if, if I, first thing out on the deck, you know, I usually do it when I'm getting my wood to put in the stove, the sheep are out, and I'll just say, good morning, Bo, good morning, Pete. And they lift up their heads and they answer back. Every morning, they know my voice. Now, if you came, I guarantee this, if you came and you walked up to Bo and said, how are you doing, Bo, and tried to pet her, she would look at you like you were the devil incarnate. She does not like strangers, flat out. Now he calls. Notice this in the text. The sheep hear his voice in verse 3. He calls his own. Notice the word own, that's possessive. That's why it says in the book of Zechariah, when, when somebody touches God's sheep, it's like somebody is touching the apple of his eye. They're his. The sheep hear his voice. He calls. That word call is not an indicative. Now, an indicative is in the original language in the verbs. It would be like a declaration, like he just does this. No, it is an imperative. It is a command. In other words, what he's doing is he is standing at the gate and he commands. Bo. And Bo comes. It is a command. This is very precise in the language. It is a call of command. Just like when God stood on the edge of eternity and he, with his voice, commanded and he said, let there be light. 
And when he commands, it is done. This is the call of command. He calls his sheep. And what does he do? Now, this is an indicative. This isn't by accident. This is the Holy Spirit writing this stuff. This is just a declaration of fact. So there's a shift in the language, in the verbs, in the Greek. The first one is he calls. That is the call of command. And then what he does, he's just declaring a fact. He leads them. He leads his sheep. That's what he does. He goes in front of them. He doesn't go behind them. Now, I don't want to bog down on this, but in the, we talked about this last week. In the ancient world, shepherds did things differently than shepherds do today. Today, in the American West, we have bands of sheep that run in the thousands. There are sheep dogs. There are men on horseback, and they are pushing sheep. In the ancient world, they would lead the sheep by their voice. The sheep were trained to follow. They were small flocks. They didn't get mixed up. They knew who their shepherd was, and they would follow. Now, having said that, even with cattle, cattle are trained to follow. You have an old mama cow that knows the ropes. She's the lead cow. She knows where you're going better than you do if she's been with you a long time. She goes in front. We train that when we move our herd of cattles, or cattles, cattle, speak like a moron, a redneck, huh? When we move our cattle, we train them so my son is in the lead on his horse. He's out in front. When we get to a gate, they know where to go because they follow him through the gate. And so you train your animals to do a certain thing. He goes in front of them. He leads them. The sheep follow. Why? Because they know. What do they know? His voice. This is important. There are two no's. And I want to look at these for the rest of the message, and then I'm done. Jesus knows our name. Our name is linked to our identity. He dies for his sheep. He dies for us by name. Listen to me. When Jesus was on the cross, you, not y'all, you were on his mind. When a man dies for his country on a foreign field, he's not just dying for us all. He's not just dying for America. He's dying for who? His family. His last thoughts are of his mom, his dad, if he's married, his bride, his kids. He's dying with someone in mind. Jesus knows our name. Oh my, that should be rich to us. That should be sweet to our soul to realize that when Jesus laid down his life, he wasn't just dying generically for the world, although he did. He was dying specifically for me. And he knew me. 
And he knew when I would be born. And he knew when I would hear the message. And I would hear it. And I would come. He knew. And us sheep, we know his voice. Now, let's consider some truths about the name. Let's consider some truths about his voice. In Luke 19, 72 disciples were sent out by Jesus into Galilee to preach the gospel and to cast out demons. When they got their job done, they come back. And it says this, the 72 returned and they were pumped. I mean, they are, whoa, Lord, even the demons. I mean, they're like, wow, this is crazy. When we spoke your name, the demons fled. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Wow. Now we could really unpack that, but we're on time. But notice what he says. Don't get so pumped up about what you do for me. He says this. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Oh, it'll pump us up when we do something, a good work for the Lord, and we see God work through it. Oh, that, that's in, invigorating, isn't it? When you serve him in your gifts and you come away and you're like, man, that was good. And we should rejoice in that in one sense. But our rejoicing should not be primarily in what we do. Our rejoicing should primarily be in the reality that my name is written in heaven. It talks about this in the book of Revelation. All whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, they're his. They don't get thrown into the lake of fire. They are not a part of the kingdom of darkness. They're his. And so he says, boy, rejoice in that. You know, you get a picture of what it really means to have your name written in heaven. And it will bring you joy. God's firm foundation stands. And it has this seal on it. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows our name. His voice. Now, in John 5, when we were there months ago, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead... Now, he's talking about the dead spiritually. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and the ones who hear will what? Live. And this is really illustrated very well when we get to chapter 11 in a few weeks and we see a guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. He's been sick. And Jesus could have healed him from his sickness, but he doesn't choose to. He does not go there till after the man is dead. And the disciples are like, you know, what's the deal? Why did you let this guy die? And we'll look at that next time or when we get there. You know, why'd you let this guy die? He was your friend. 
And Jesus weeps. Let's not miss that. He weeps. And he walks up and he says, move the stone. And his sister says, not Jesus' sister, Lazarus' sister says, "Uh, let's not do that. This is Palestine. It's hot. No air conditioning in there. You know, he's kind of, you know, a little bit swollen by now and a little bit stinky. Don't do that. Move it. Lazarus, come forth. The cry, the call of command, right? Lazarus, name, come. And what did Lazarus do? The dead heard his voice and came. That is exactly what happens to a sinner who's sitting in a place like this, here or in another place, And some man is standing up in front of them and is just teaching God's word, trying in the best of his ability to share what God has said. And in all of our, as a preacher, as a pastor, all of our fumblings and all of our mistakes, somehow the Holy Spirit comes through it and he says to a person in the crowd, Lazarus! And what happens? They hear and they live. They come forth. Saul is a tremendous illustration of this. Now, Dave read Acts 22 to us this morning, and I did this specifically because it illustrates very well. Paul has been arrested in the temple, and he addresses the crowd before he is taken away into prison. It tells us, did you notice this? He did it in the Hebrew language. This was key to Paul. He knew the Hebrew, although he also knew Greek and Aramaic, but he spoke to them in Greek so they would know this was a signal to them that he was not abandoning Judaism. That's why he did that. And it tells us that as Saul is on his way to Damascus in verse 7, what did he do? Now, by the way, why was Paul going there? Was he going to go preach at the church? No, he wanted to do what? Lock up Christians and hope that they got stoned, like Stephen. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes the Lord's sheep don't really look like sheep, right? Saul didn't look like a sheep. He wasn't acting like a sheep. But the Lord speaks to him on the Damascus road, and he what? Heard, it says specifically, a voice. And what did the voice say? Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Man, the Holy Spirit knows how to put his finger on my issue. It's not generic, is it? It's specific. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the cattle prod. That's the word of goad, right? We have cattle's prods to move our cattle down an alleyway to get them into the squeeze chute. They don't really like it. They'll kick against it. They don't want to move when I want them to move because they don't want to do what I want them to do because they know what's coming when they get in the squeeze chute, right? They kick against it. Why are you persecuting me? 
tells us that before Paul became a Christian, his conscience was being pricked. Now, notice this. It says specifically in verse 9 that the men who were with him, they saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice. And it tells us they heard it, but they didn't understand it. Now, in 2614, it tells us of the same event that when Jesus spoke to Paul, he spoke to him in the Hebrew language. And these men that are with Paul know Hebrew. So Jesus is speaking to Paul in the Hebrew language. The men who are with them hear a sound. They see a light. But they don't understand it. What does that mean? Natural man, the unsaved man, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? It's foolishness to him. He doesn't understand it. Makes no sense to him. But Saul heard his voice. Now, to bring it to close, let's just make some application. Oh, by the way, the voice of the shepherd, at the end of this, Ananias said this. We read this. Ananias said to Saul, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to what? Hear his voice. To hear his voice. So, let's think about the voice. What does it mean to hear the voice of God? Now, we could take 45 minutes with this, but we'll take two. What does it mean to hear the voice of God? Should I expect it to be audible? And must I also hear him say my name? Am I sitting in church and one day I all of a sudden hear the Spirit of God say to me, Tim, Tim, why are you doing that? And then also with so many voices clamoring in my head, how do I distinguish the voice of God? Because you're sitting out there and you're saying, yeah, I hear the voice of God. I'm a Christian, but I hear a lot of other voices. How do I know when it's me speaking to me? How do I test the spirits to know whether they are of God? Because I got other voices that are ringing in my head. So with all the voices clamoring in my head, how do I distinguish the voice of God? Let's run them real quick. Number one, he says, this is just simple. He says, we know it. Now you say, explain it. I can't. But how do you know the voice of the Son of God? You know it. Right? You know it. How do you know it? Usually because two or three witnesses corroborate it. Right? Or other things like that. But it's just saying this. In 1 John, it tells us that we have an anointing from the Holy One, and we know. We know. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean that you don't have to study kids and go in and take a test in calculus, and you just know it. You know, no, the Holy Spirit don't give you that kind of insight. What he is saying is the Holy Spirit gives us an insight. The Holy Spirit says, this is my voice, and we just know it, right? You know your mom's voice. You know your dad's voice. You know your spouse's voice. You just know it. And so when all the other voices are yelling in your head, you just got to sit back and say, okay, which voice is the voice I know? Now, that sounds pretty subjective, but that's what you got to do. You got to just sit down and say, which is the voice I know? To hear God's voice clearly, we need to spend time where God has spoken. Where does God speak? 
right here. Right here. If you want to hear the voice of God, pick this up this week. Get in it. You will hear his voice if you are his sheep. Recognize God's voice is still small voice, right? Remember, this was Elijah's lesson. God wasn't in the thunder and lightning. God wasn't in the earthquake. God was in what? Still small voice. And so when you're looking and you're distinguishing and you want to know which voice is the one that I know, look for this one. It's not the one that's yelling. It's not the one that's beating on your brain. It's not the one that's accusing you. It's the one you know. And then the good shepherd leads his sheep. He doesn't drive them. Right? When you feel driven, when I feel driven in my spirit to do something, usually it ain't from God. But when I feel led, and I simply need to follow, that is an indication to me that it is the voice of the Lord. The good shepherd leads his sheep. He doesn't drive. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a light to our feet. Directs us, comforts us. It's like a campfire in the night that drives away the demons that bring us fear. Oh, Father, I pray that if there is someone that is locked in the tomb of sin today, they would hear your voice. That, Lord, you would just speak to them. That you would assure them that you laid down your life for them. And they would follow. For us who know you, help us to hear your voice like the voice that came to Samuel in the night. And to just do what you ask us to do. Lord, help us not to make this thing so complicated that we miss it. Help us just to see it's not about us, it's about you. And all we got to do is follow. This I pray in the name of Jesus.